0: Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Strevens. Let's jump straight into it sometimes we have guests on and, and you're not sure which way it's going to go, do you? You think, mm. you know, is this person going to talk? Are we going to get the content we want? Would it make a good episode? We didn't have that concern with this guest. We had no
1: doubt about Chris, I'll tell you. Yeah. I, I, I just thought it was fascinating. One, I, uh, those years, I didn't realise he was the age he is. Um, and two, how long he's been in dentistry. I know that we've been in dentistry mm. for, feels like ages. He's yeah. been in dentistry for ages. It's just brilliant the way it went, I think.
0: That's right, yeah. And also just his his resilience of how he goes about things yeah and uh, he talks a lot about the the extreme stuff he's done you know mountains mm. deserts you know that tv program he did many years ago now but a lot of that really does feed through into i'm sure how he works with his clients in in bringing them through difficult times
1: yeah i think for me it's sort of one of those uh, he's he's either a bit of an adrenaline junkie or he just likes challenging himself or whatever. But then there's this huge, massive irony in the fact he slides off his bike mm. at 15 miles an hour and breaks seven ribs, collarbone in four places, Yeah, cracks his, could have cracked his skull open but and, and cheese grated himself yeah. in a relatively innocuous when he's mm. done all this other stuff. But it's just like, in a way,
0: it's almost a lesson, isn't yeah. it? The fact you can do all this stuff and then the smallest thing can trip you up. Oh, yeah. And also how he shared what looks like success for him. I think people will be very interested to hear his, his mm. definition, which is a lot around contentment. It was yeah. really good. Really he was enjoyable. a great guy. Great yeah. Guy. So here we are yet again. And today, this person needs zero introduction. Who is he? <laughs> he is an incredibly well-known personality uh, within the dental profession. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we are delighted to have Chris Barrow join us we today. We are
1: indeed. Look at that.
0: Welcome, Mr. Barrow. How are you?
2: Uh, I am very well, and uh, very good morning to both of you. And uh, thank you so much for the introduction. As you know, I, I, I spend quite a lot of my time interviewing other people, and so it's uh, it's really nice uh, to be on the other side of it for a change. <laughs> Thanks for the intro. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You can just sit there and talk and share your stories. No preparation on your side at all. I'm just intrigued. Was it a can of beer, Chris? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, there we go. Oh, look, see, look for all of, um, who thought, uh, for all of you thought, for all of you thought, Chris, at this time of the morning, because we are doing and was <laughs> yeah. having a beer. He's not. Although I
2: could, uh, I could, I could, uh, I could very carefully have siphoned some home there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You could. Well, I found, I found <laughs> out on,
0: on on that on that very point. I went to the football match um, on Monday, England playing Germany, and um, I did see at half time somebody went and got themselves a coffee cup and distilled into their coffee cup their pint of beer put a lid on it because you're allowed to take hot drinks pitch side but you can't take beer and they poured a pint of beer into a coffee cup how desperate do you have to be <laughs> <laughs> that you can't have
1: a drink for 45
0: minutes I was going to say part of me said how ingenious and the other part said really sado. <laughs> but
2: there we go I going to that I was going to suggest how desperate do you need to be to go to Wembley on a weekday night to watch an England-Germany game but there you go that's another conversation altogether (laughs) Uh,
0: for how they're playing at the moment I tend to agree with you Yeah, but at least a game of football broke out it did in the second half
2: (laughs) it did in the second half and I've got Um, no room to talk whatsoever given the the team that I support up in Manchester as well
0: I was going to say we'll both keep quiet on that Uh, We share the same team and Chris supports Arsenal, so we will not be having conversations about football. At the moment,
1: we're doing all right. Yeah. I'll just ha- ha- preface that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. The great thing is we can edit this if
0: we need to. So if it goes off down a detour, <laughs> we'll just scrub any references to Arsenal.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, or anyone.
0: <laughs> anyway, anyway, we should get on. We, we should. should get on. So Chris, um, thank you very much indeed for your time for joining us. We should start with checking on your well-being because Ooh. you had a pretty bad cycling accident fairly recently, <coughs> which I know you shared with people on, on social media. But how, how are you doing? It's a few weeks on now but how's your recovery going?
2: Yeah it is interesting it's such as social media of course that everybody knows but, uh, uh, but uh, I'm doing great thank you and uh, way back Good. when on the uh, 6th of August uh, first day back actually after a two-week holiday in Greece um, and uh, we were out walking the dogs in the morning and I said to my wife not quite sure what to do this afternoon. I could have a two hour siesta, like we've been doing on holiday, or I could just get my bike out and go and have a ride for a couple of hours. And I said, do you know what? I think I'll get some fresh air. So isn't it funny how your life can pivot mm. on a very, very simple yeah. decision like that? Uh, because uh, little did I realize that no more than 25 minutes and five miles later, I'd be minding my own business, riding down a very quiet tarmac country lane at not a very great speed, I have to ad- admit, and, uh, uh, one second, um, and one dinner plate size gravel patch later, the bike goes left, I go right and, uh, wake up, uh, what was probably no more than about 60 seconds later, staring at the sky with four heads looking down at me going, are you all right? And, uh, cut to the chase, seven broken ribs, uh, collarbone broken in four places. Uh, most of the right-hand ah. side of my body, cheese grated down the road. Six days in hospital, um, <clears throat> one titanium wow. plate where my collarbone used to be, and uh, the best part of about six or seven weeks off work. Uh, so, yeah. should have had a siesta. <laughs> yeah, and, you should have, uh, but, yeah. But, but nice as, we were saying,
1: as we were saying there, Chris, you, you know, if uh, there's a uh, advocate of making sure you wear a helmet,
2: uh, wear a uh helmet, you uh, know listen, those cyclists it, unbelievable. If they ever need a new ambassador for the wear a crash helmet every time you ride a bike campaign, it's gotta be me. And I've kept my, my crash helmet as a memento because even though I wasn't traveling particularly quickly, even though there was mm-hmm. nobody else involved, uh my crash helmet was totaled and a, Frankly, if, if I hadn't been wearing that, I probably wouldn't be able to speak to you the way I am doing now. So, you know, you've got to count your blessings. Wow. And uh, I, yeah, I am I also going to take, <clears throat> take the opportunity of saying something that, that I do feel very strongly about, which is that um, being in the hands of the National Health Service during that period of time, you know, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to be a very well person for the majority, if not the whole of my life. And uh, I've had one or two you know, knocks and bruises and scrapes, but there's never been anything to write home about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I cannot praise highly enough the the first response team, the ambulance team, the A&E team at Woodenshire Hospital, and the people that looked after me in the uh, thoracic unit for six days. And also the surgical team that have put my collarbone back together again um, the whole experience has just been something, um, that I think we can be very proud of. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we might get around in the context of this conversation to talking about the national health service insofar as it applies to dentistry, we shall see. Uh, but certainly mm-hmm. the national health service insofar as it applies to looking after me in the last few months, uh, uh has been something that I've been hugely grateful for mm. and, um, it's nice. Yeah, to hear, I, I
0: think the I think A and E on the on the NHS side. I think the A and E oh, is yeah, really yeah. is incredible. Um, when when you need I, them, they're there.
2: I I was in Withenshaw Hospital, South Manchester, on a Saturday. I arrived at about um, I arrived at about two o'clock Saturday afternoon. Uh, I was in A and E till four o'clock Sunday morning, fourteen hours in total. And I've got to tell you, wow. Saturday night, withinshire Hospital. A and E. It was a bit like the Star <laughs> Wars happen, uh, and uh, I, <laughs> and uh, again, I've got nothing but admiration for the team that work there. And uh, you know what? If if David, if David Attenborough runs out of things to do, television series about you know Blue Planet this and Blue Planet that, he just needs to go down there and uh, and sit and watch. <laughs> The variety of ways in which Homo sapien evolves over the years, it's been quite remarkable. <laughs> it's a bit like those
0: Darwin Awards, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you know, how stupid can you be to injure yourself? A 14-hour <laughs> cultural revelation.
2: Yeah. Oh, my so, word. Chris,
0: how did you find, you're, 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 you're so full of energy and you're relentless in what you do. So how did you find this enforced period of rest? Did you embrace it? Did it frustrate you?
2: I, 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 it was okay. I mean, I am frustrated by the lack of physical activity because, you know, I'm I'm somebody who does a lot of physical stuff. Whether whether I'm running marathons, although I am now, uh, I've enforced my own retirement from marathons because of injuries. Uh, But since I gave up running marathons, it's been all about the bicycle. <clears throat> and when it's not about the bicycle, it's about doing all sorts of other crazy stuff. And I was mentioning to um, uh, Chris before we came on the call that it's ironic uh, that in June this year I was able to climb the highest mountain in Italy, Grand Paradiso, four thousand meters. Um, <clears throat> you know, because I'm still very, very blessed to be able to do that kind of crazy stuff at my age, and um, uh, and so. I'm frustrated by the fact that temporarily I'm unable to um, exercise as much as I can. Uh, But during my period of enforced isolation, um, I'm a very avid reader and uh, always have been. And all I decided to do was to upscale the number of books I was reading. So I always set myself a target every single year. I set myself a target of reading at least 30 three zero good novels and I have to say that I'm uh, here, we, here we are in the back end of September <clears throat> and I'm currently reading novel number 29 of the year and I'm going to pass my own target no, Okay. Um so you know I I'm I'm lying in a bed feeling a bit sorry for myself and uh, all right I I've got to admit that I did spend a little bit of time on on an iPad keeping my eye on what was going on work-wise, keeping my eye on what was going on insofar as the industry is concerned. Uh, But primarily, it's about lying in bed and saying, okay, well, what am I going to use my time to do constructively? And for me, reading Mm. is a passion. For Mm -hmm. some other people, listening to music is a passion. Now, I'm not a particular Mm -hmm. music Um, my wife mm. is the music buff in the family, and she's a Wikipedia on music knowledge. Whereas when when she mm. says we're going to a live concert, I kind of go meh uh, because music isn't my thing. But we we've got so yeah. many books in the house. I've actually hired a storage unit uh, to put the books that we can't fit in the house anymore wow. into. You know, <clears throat> so that's what I did. Did I you use a, a
1: book? Or, did you use a book or a Kindle?
2: I don't use Kindles, and um, the reason for that is because I spend just... so much, I spend so much time online um, that the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is to pick up an electronic device. Um, yeah, so awesome. actually, I go down to Waterstones, and I browse and I buy predominantly yeah. hardback books, and I love that tactile experience of picking up a book and reading it and dare I say smelling the book feeling the book
1: oh, I go with you yeah 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 yeah
2: um, so uh, you know uh, uh, when you've sat down here doing 26 zoom calls and three webinars in a week yeah. you've had enough of electronics mm. and uh, so I was just thinking I, a
1: man with a man with a man with seven broken ribs and a broken shoulder. Trying to turn the pages or hold a heavy book—that's all I was thinking. I was thinking that must have been quite a quite a practical challenge, almost in a way. Uh,
0: but, but well, also uh, I think from from. Sorry, go on, Chris.
2: I was going to say, pathetically enough, if you could have seen me back then, I was, I was, uh, I was either lying in bed or lying on the sofa. With a huge U-shaped cushion behind me, and uh, a pillow sat on my knee, with the book resting on my <laughs> knee, turning the pages over with my good hands. Ah,
0: okay, right, okay, right, with right. I mean, your good hands. You're well set up. <laughs> You're well set up. But but also, I think there is a difference. I think when you have a paper book, I find that the information sticks better. If I, occasionally I listen to audio books, and I've got yeah. a Kindle as well, but I don't think that information sticks in the same way as actually having a book because also you can turn the page down or you can write a little note in the side particularly if it's a a a business related or Mm. information led book Uh, i think the information sticks differently and i don't know if there's any any stats or evidence on this but if i listen to an audio book it's almost just like white noise in the background it's enjoyable in that moment but i don't retain the information in anything Mm. like the same way interesting interesting well, you know the, the psychologists
2: so, tell us, don't they that people have got different uh, learning. <laughs> you know, some are auditory, mm. some are visual, some are kinetic, and I think there's a lot of that involved in this as well. <clears throat> you know, there, there are some people that will go and sit and read graphic novels because they are really, really stimulated by the visual experience of reading mm. a graphic novel. Mm. Other people, Colin Campbell, for example, I know is a, an avid audio book. Uh, listener, he walks the dog, listens to mm. podcasts, walks the dog, listens to books I don't do audible, I don't listen to books audibly because I want that tactile yeah. experience, I'm all about the kinetics mm.
0: yeah yeah we've we've obviously known as a, as a as a group we've known one another for, for, for many years I think we were reminiscing before we started recording it's probably 20 years it could be no. 20 years plus yes, definitely. you've yep. been in dentistry a long while and and you're well known in dentistry but what was what was what were you like as a kid what was your life like before dentistry because I'm sure there's people that only ever know you because you're so well known within dentistry mm. there was a Chris before dentistry yeah, it wasn't it? there
2: well, <clears throat> yes, there was, and and uh, uh, can I say that that um, <clears throat> I am um, rather dubiously proud of the, of the fact that this year I'm celebrating my 52nd year of full time employment. This month, in actual fact, um, it's 52 wow. years wow. this month since I first got a full time job, and. Uh, wow. <clears throat> And and what's interesting about that is that those 52 years are divided exactly down the middle uh, by the last 26 years, having been about dentistry full-time. But the 26 years before that, rather interestingly, of course, were financial services. Um, And so I, as a 16-year-old school leaver, uh, with four and a half GCSE O-Levels, as they were called in those days. Um, uh-huh. in GCSEs, St- bring them on. And, uh, and uh, I, I joined an insurance company in St Peter's Square in central Manchester, which in those days was called the Friends, Provident and Century Group. Um, day one Friends, as a 16 as a year old school leaver. Um, I joined on the same day as another guy who subsequently became a very good friend, a lad called Steve Hyam. And, you know, we were talking earlier about single moments that can pivot your life. And uh, on that very first day at work, Steve and I turned up on the first day. We'd never met each other before. And the two of us stood there in front of the assistant branch manager, Mr. Peter Radband. And he looked at us and he pointed at Steve Hyam and he said, you Go and sit in the motor insurance department, and then he pointed at me and he said, "You go upstairs and go and sit in the life department." And from that moment on, um, our at par- partly our futures and our careers were defined. Steve Hyam subsequently became a loss adjuster and ended up running his own loss adjusting business in the centre of Manchester. <clears throat> I went upstairs to the life department and spent the next 26 years in financial services as office boy, administrator, office manager, what they used to call back in the day, uh, life insurance inspector, uh, which was basically a technical rep for a life insurance company, subsequently became a broker consultant for one of the early unit link life insurance companies, Hamburg Life Insurance, and then became an independent financial advisor in 1987 and uh, was, I have to say, r- rather proud, one of the six founder members of the Institute for Financial Planning who introduced, oh, fee-based, wow. <clears throat> introduced fee-based financial planning for the first time into the UK, 1987-ish. And then through to about 1996, where uh, at that point in time i decided I decided really I'd had enough of financial services. Frankly, I was bored. And uh, I'd developed a client base of small to medium-sized business owners. They were asking me for help in running the businesses. And so I decided between about 93 and 96 to move into business consultancy. And then accidentally tripped over and fell into dentistry and and decided that that was a place I was going to spend the majority of my time. So in terms of background... Uh, half and half. Chris, how did services.
1: you ac- how did you accidentally trip into dentistry?
2: 1987. As an independent financial advisor, I used to do all my business by running seminars for company directors on how to put the money into director pension arrangements. So I'd have a hundred people in a hotel room, and I'd stand at the front of the room with a with a flip chart and a pen, because we didn't have any <laughs> technology in those days. And I'd used to spend about an hour and a half doing box presentations on the flip chart. You can move your money from company A to company B, and company B is tax-free. You might remember that kind of thing. Uh, Signing up pension plans. One of the people who came to one of those early seminars was a fellow called Brian Gordon, who ran Crown Dental Laboratory in Chorley in Lancashire. Through word of mouth, between 87 and about 89, uh, I developed a lot of dental lab owners as financial services clients. Oh, and, wow. um, and in fact, um, in 1993, one of those lab owners called me and said, I need your help with something. And I said, what is it? And in 1993, it says I've got a dentist who owes me £30,000 in unpaid lab bills. And I've sent him all sorts of letters saying, I need you to pay your lab bills. And he still hasn't paid me. So I've told him that he's got a choice. I either put the debt collectors in or I put Chris Barrow in to help him to try and sort his business out to pay my bills. And he's chosen you. Wow. So wow. my first meeting with a dentist was that dentist uh, who rather begrudgingly agreed to see me. I very, quickly found, I very quickly found out that not only did he owe his lab 30 grand, but he owed the Inland Revenue, he owed his school fees, and he owed, he owed everybody else in town. In fact, the, the guy was up to his neck in problems and debt. I spent two years helping him to dig himself out of that, uh, partly, I have to say, by refinancing his house, partly by helping him to run his business profitably for the first time, my lab owner got his 30 grand. So I uh, obviously was top of his fan club. Uh The dentist got mm. himself sorted out. And uh that was kind of how it got started. And so you could say that my career started as a debt collector for dentists. <coughs> <laughs> um, what what for, a great
1: way to learn, though, Does not I mean, you were um, in yeah, the ground I, floor, weren't you? I mean,
2: flip. Well, and and it, it was a very, very early... Um, Realisation that first of all, uh, the dentist in question had not got the faintest idea how to run a business, um, and uh, and had never had any training. Um, uh, and secondly, also which is the still the case,
0: which is still the case today for many, many of them, the isn't it? In terms <laughs> of the training side of things, yeah, still, isn't it? <laughs> the, the brutal reality.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And uh, can I also, and as an aside, uh, uh, just recall that it was shortly after that that I started approaching some of the dental schools uh, to say I'd be more than happy to come along and do some presentations to your dental students on managing their own finances. Um, And to say that I was stonewalled would be an understatement. Um, you know, broadly speaking, the response was that we're here to teach people dentistry. We're not here to teach them how to make a profit. Mm. And uh, oh, so uh, the, the, the dental schools unanimously slammed the door in my face. And, uh, and, I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm big enough and daft enough to take the message. I just walked away from it and thought, OK, well, if the dental schools aren't prepared to teach them, somebody has and uh, has to do it and uh, i have to say that i'm very fortunate that although my business has almost exclusively grown through word of mouth um that dentist didn't refer me to all of his friends who were broke um what happened is that the dental technicians i was working with and also some of the early dentists i was working with started to recommend me to their friends and peer groups and so on that was how it got going and it was slow it was organic uh, it took me about three years to kind of transition into dentistry to the extent that mm-hmm. I felt that there was enough in it for me to be able to do it full time.
0: Wow.
1: That's yeah. fascinating. That's a great story. That is a brilliant story. So, so
2: for lots of people,
0: um, we, we've got a broad church in terms of who listens to this. We get some um, quite a lot of um, very young dentists and, and some people who are still um, waiting to, to qualify. You, you've you got this this depth of experience of what dentistry looks like and has changed over those 20-plus years. What did it look like? What did those practices look and feel like back then compared to where they are now? What are the significant changes you've seen over, over those decades?
2: I, I, de- I described that recently. Somebody asked me a similar question recently, a client actually, and um, and I said to, com- to compare and contrast the mid-'90s to, to where we are now in dentistry, um, I, I would I would compare a chimpanzee with a jawbone uh, to uh, an astronaut in a spaceship. Uh, that that that's how big a gap there are between the two. And even from a business perspective, I mean, I I'm not qualified to talk about the differences that have taken place in clinical dentistry during that time. Mm. Uh, but I think we can go through a product list which would include tooth whitening, it would include clear aligners, it would include smile design. To a large extent, and for the majority of the population, it would include implant and restorative dentistry. Uh, you can say that none of those exist, existed in the 90s uh, clinical environment. Uh, you know, Dental implants was the preserve of the upper class rich and famous people. Um, the, mm. the, the ordinary working person would never have dreamed of having access to that. It was still drill, fill, and bill when I first came mm. into to the industry, even though I arrived four years after Dem Plan started. And around yeah. about the same year that Practice Plan started, it was the, the business was still predominantly drill, fill and bill, yeah. NHS. Mm. <clears throat> A lot of the, none of the technology existed. I mean, none of it. <laughs> so mm. if if you talk about digital workflow, you know we, the internet didn't get turned on till 1995. <laughs> so uh, you know so forget digital yeah. workflow. But I think also from a business perspective, um, back in the mid 90s you you could actually make a living out of the delivery of NHS dentistry by just turning up. Um, Mm. And and it was still profitable to be able to do that, even though people were starting to leave and move into private practice. The number of those was fairly few and far between. Um, Mm. And I think from my perspective, the biggest difference also is to look at marketing because when I arrived, marketing was a brass plaque on the front door and a standard size box in yellow pages. And then yeah, a it. Tri- yeah, the and, yeah. yeah. and then a trifold information leaflet with a picture of the yeah. practice on the front and the opening hours on the back and a few details in the middle. That was marketing. And anything beyond hmm. that, to a large extent, was prohibited by the GDC. Uh, when when yeah. I when I turned up, there was no such thing as a dental website. Um, Mm-hmm. when i turned up digital workflow didn't exist when i turned up most of the most of the higher value treatment that now is sold wasn't even available it wasn't on the shelf to sell it mm-hmm. was a very different it was a very different shop with very few shelves with very little products and services on the shelves so can you see why i'm saying that there's been such a quantum leap um, in mm. in trying to compare, it, it, you can't even really compare those two industries because they're so different. Oh, they're they're
0: yeah, they're worlds apart. And and what were the what were the people like involved in dentistry? What were the demographics and the profile of of people owning and running and working in dental practices back then like?
2: Well, <clears throat> um, I, you know what I, I, I'm going to say this, the unsayable and 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 say that it was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant middle class. Mm. Um, end of and uh, so what happened was that you know you went you went off to university and you got yourself a dental degree uh, probably because you didn't feel that you were quite up to a full medical degree uh, but mummy and daddy wanted (laughs) you to get a degree and uh, you know and and the, the amazing thing was back in the 90s was that you did come back and of course you serve your time as a vocational trainee um, and yeah, then you served, the LVT and then you served your time as a dental associate on 50% because that's what everybody got paid in the UK and Ireland unlike the rest of the world um and you went and did one or two postgraduate courses but what would you do you do you get your EndoScout badge and you'd get your perio scout badge and that'd be about it um and then you may or may not at some stage in the future have the opportunity to either buy a practice at one time's earnings mm, uh,
0: because that... let,
2: let, <laughs> you know let, let's go back to 1996-97 the the very first client that i had who sold his practice sold it in 1997 To a fella called David Hudley, who had set up a company called Integrated (laughs) Dental, can I tell you it was David Hudley's practice (laughs) number twelve, and he paid thirty-five percent of gross because you guys, you guys will remember uh, that back in the in Mm. the mid to late nineties, thirty-five percent of gross was the going rate for Mm. the good dental practice.
0: I think for some for some of the younger people listening to this, David Hudley set up IDH Integrated Dental Holdings, which today exists and is known as My Dentist. Mm. So he was an absolute pioneer back in the day doing what he did it's always yeah. one of Andy and
1: ours. Uh, we, we always laugh about it and we say if we'd have been truly smart people when we bought Frank Taylors in 2000 we'd have bought every dental practice that came across our books and put it into this <laughs> limited <Liberty> company <laughs> and then we'd have sold it <laughs> but we weren't that smart <laughs> true
2: enough true enough and and you know we're, uh, how, how many of us missed that boat uh, me included yeah uh, uh, because mm. you know you you just didn't even think that way, did you? And and uh, and the kind of multiples we're seeing now. But by the way, you know, the the for the for the younger people that are listening, to <coughs> you, when I talk about pr- a practice being sold at thirty five percent of gross, we're all talking about multiples of EBITDA now. You know, six and a half, seven and a half, or eight and a half times EBITDA. Yeah. Um, in in equivalent terms, thirty five percent of gross for most practices would probably been about one and a half times EBITDA or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so yeah. right. One yeah. to one, but it's a different time. world. Very yeah. different. But well,
0: I think back to so Frank and Sandra, Frank Taylor and Sandra Rhodes started Frank Taylor Associates in nineteen eighty eight, and and prior to that, there wasn't an open market. For the purchase and sale of dental practices, it just didn't exist. It was a it was a pint in a pub with somebody you knew, and you yeah. agreed a you agreed a deal, and you took over. that, yeah. that was it. And so, yeah. you know listening to your description of of how dentistry, I can absolutely you know a, agree one hundred percent because from our side of things in the world that we live in. It's it's unrecognisable. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, not with you know CQC contracts, da 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 da, da 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 You know the the days of I'm going to buy that practice in two weeks or whatever it might be, <laughs> I'm definitely gone because of everything else that's there. And it just yeah, it's just an interesting, as you say, an evolution from from dental clinical, but dental business as well, yeah. and lawyers and anyway, let's not talk about lawyers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's an interesting point that you make there, Chris, though, that the thing that I've forgotten to mention in my comparison between then and now um, is that to all intents and purposes, there was, the, well, there was no CQC. Uh, the, the, yeah. the idea of somebody coming along and inspecting your practice on a regular basis uh, didn't exist. Uh, and also that, you know, there, there was a thing called the General Dental Council there that that was largely um, a, a rubber stamping uh, uh, regulator uh, with no teeth mm. uh, and and mm. had not and was still years away uh, from turning into this kind of McCarthyite witch hunt um, that, that, mm. has, uh, yeah. that has been created over the last 15-20 years or so so you, you were relatively free, from- sorry Chris you were relatively free from regulation you were definitely free from litigation and, uh, you know, the, the idea that there was going to be any kind of big brother that was standing over you uh, trying mm. to, quote, protect the patient, close quote, uh, mm. was unheard of.
1: I remember when CQC came in and we did some courses with, I think it was Kevin Lewis, wasn't it? Yeah. And and he was great. And he said to people, he said, this is just stuff you should have been doing anyway, he said, to protect your patients. And it, it, it's sort of this great thing of really, it seemed, why did it take so long for someone to think, hang on a minute, that, that someone's with sharp, spinny implements drilling into people's gums and jaws and there's no there's no control. Do you remember in the early days when CQC first came in, there were some practices that we came across who weren't registered. They hadn't registered. And we said to him, you, you've got to register. And I can remember one guy, and excuse my northern accent, because he was northern. And he said to me, oh, this CQC, it's just not for me, Chris. And I said, it doesn't really matter <laughs> if it's not for you. You have to do it. He said, but I don't want to do it. I said, it doesn't matter. You've got to do it. It was like, it was almost like this thing, oh, um, yeah, I'm above Cqc. what What do you mean someone's going to look at what I do? but it's it's fascinating, fascinating. I, yeah. I, I, I think also uh, world,
2: it's just the new world I, I also want to pay um tribute in some respect to to uh, all of those long-suffering practice managers out there because I think it's also interesting to contrast the role of the practice manager circa nineteen ninety five. Uh, compared to what it's Mm. like today and you know I'm certainly who's been on record that saying um, back in 1995 basically the practice manager was the mother superior she was the ward matron in the practice uh, looking after the girls looking after the rotor, and looking after the supplies and uh, and probably looking after the dentist uh, to a certain extent as well whereas the modern day practice manager uh, I, I believe it's almost like an MBA equivalent qualification to be able to handle finance, mm. marketing, customer service, compliance, mm. clinical governance, leadership, management. You know, just look at the scope of practice of that role mm. and look at how it's evolved over the years. I can see a few practice managers listening to this and saying, yes, and the bloody pay hasn't kept up with it either, has it? But that's. Uh, not- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger, uh, but uh, the, what a change! And and hasn't the mm. business of dentistry grown up over those twenty five yeah. years in, into something yeah. that is really awesome when you see it done well.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I think the competitive environment um, has has helped, and I think I think good competition is is always healthy, and I think you've seen you know, more practices, more techniques, you know, people looking for angles and ideas. And it's it's propelled Dentistry forward. Some of the stuff that happens in on the business side mm. of Dentistry now is awesome. You know, some yeah. of the tools and techniques, I think we saw, particularly through COVID, a real explosion of innovation, of people looking to do new and different things.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, and I suppose, Chris, people come to you because they recognize they don't understand what they're doing or want to achieve better, and we we see lots of practices that our guys value, and and it still amazes me, even though how the business is dentistry involved, the vast majority really haven't got much of an idea as to how they actually manage to make that money. They they just know that they've made some money because because we always say whenever we we're when one of our valuers talks to someone, you know the first engagement is, can you tell us about your practice? Yeah, they can tell us how many surgeries type of fee income if it's nhs my uda rate how big my contract my lease terms how many associates what i pay them my hygienist my staff and then you say well what's your profit oh, i don't know <laughs> and and it, it's still prevalent today yeah. the vast majority of people say well i don't really know what my profit is well have you got a rough idea no no uh that's the thing the accountant does and it's <laughs> like
2: true enough i uh, so i have to say you um, must say uh, I'll share with you uh, a a little story that's actually hot off the press. um, And and that is that um, uh, I, uh, going back to the cycling accident, I am just now beginning to get back out on the road, just, uh, you know, just few and far between, but I'm I'm doing a few workshops, a few practice visits. And last week um, I did a return visit um, to some clients who worked with me back in 2017 and uh, they wanted me to go back and do a review, man and wife, dentist, uh, dental team. And uh, we spent a lovely day up in central Scotland uh, talking about how they've come since 2017 and what it is that they need to do next. And I said at the end of the day, uh, something that I do say all the time now, which is that if you've had a good experience, I'd really appreciate a Google review because I, I, like everybody else, consider it really important to collect those Google reviews. And uh, God bless uh, the lady, um, literally within 24 hours, she typed up a Google review and sent it. And of course, I got a notification. So as, as you always do, of course, you want to go and read what has been written. And uh, there I am. It was actually Saturday morning. Last Saturday morning, I was reading this and thinking, oh, I wonder if she's written about me, you know. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one sentence from the Google review that said, uh, meeting with Chris is a bit like having a dad that knows all about dentistry.
1: <laughs> Brilliant.
2: Now, Lovely. I have to say, I have to say, I'm a little bit on the fence about how I've reacted to that because <laughs> the uh, dad <laughs> a bit because uh, uh, clearly, um, uh, although I did uh, a few weeks ago celebrate my 69th birthday um i do actually think i'm still 18 in my head uh which is probably why i still carry on and go out and do all this crazy stuff uh so to be described by one of your clients as their pseudo dad uh was a little bit sobering uh but at the same time and on the flip side i thought wasn't that a nice thing to say and uh i'm gonna take it as an indication uh, the, the Chris Barrow of the 90s and the early 2000s, who might have been a bit of a Luke Skywalker and might have put a few people's noses out with some of the things he said and some of the things he did. Slowly, I am clearly metamorphosizing into either <laughs> Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi or Yoda. Uh, uh, one yeah, or yeah. At least it's not Darth. Uh, true enough. And, and uh, I'll leave it to the audience to decide which of those it is. But uh, you know, uh, I, we have a little kind of, me and my team, we have, we have a little um, phrase that we use with each other, which is that when people reach out to me for the first time, and I'm blessed that people do, um, n- nobody ever contacts me because they're happy. Yeah. Um, and so when somebody reaches out to me one of the first questions I've got to answer in my own mind is what is it that has motivated this person to send the email, fill in the online form on the website, whatever methodology that they've used or they've been chatting to somebody at a conference at a postgrad course and said I'm really worried about that and somebody said why don't you give Chris Barrow a call because he might be able to help you with that mm. so one of the things that I'm constantly kind of subconsciously surveying is well why are people connecting with me what's the distress that's leading them to reach out and broadly speaking and this is a bit of a sweeping generalization but broadly speaking it's one of three things Um, chronologically i'm still being contacted by people who are either buying the first practice or they are about to open their first practice and I'm I'm still dealing with private squats even in this marketplace of ours and I'm also Mm -hmm. dealing with first time buyers and I think that the interesting thing is that although you might not have had any business training at dental school uh, the fact is that you know when you sign up for that loan and when somebody throws the keys at you and says right it's yours there must be a moment you know there must be a moment where they think holy crap what have I done <laughs> and and maybe it's at that moment in time that they think well maybe I do need an Obi-Wan Kenobi here maybe I do need somebody who who has been around the block of it yeah. and you know some people might find that in a mentor some people might find that in a in a real parent some people might find it in a family mm. member or friend who's got that business experience but some of those people reach out to me and say okay I need somebody along for this ride who's been this journey before and who can perhaps help me to avoid some of the more common mistakes and also perhaps accelerate the progress, that's group one the starters group two Mm -hmm. are the people that have got existing businesses and it might be one location or it might be a small number of locations, you know a little mini corporate or micro corporate but they've plateaued. And what they've done is they they've hit they've hit what Dan Sullivan at Strategic Coach in Toronto calls a ceiling of complexity. And a bit like a jam jar and a fly in the jam jar, they're bouncing on the lid. Yeah. And no matter what it is that they do, they can't seem to really get through to the next level. And mm-hmm. the ideas that they've got have taken them so far, but they've plateaued for a year or two. And then they reach out to me and they say, Well, I'm a bit stuck. And I need some growth ideas. How do I either make my existing location more profitable? How do I make my locations more profitable? Or how do I put myself in a position where I can maybe expand Mm -hmm. as well? And then the third group, Mm -hmm. which I have to say, it, it rather paradoxically has blossomed in recent years, are the people who are looking for an exit room. And they've realized that they are going to want to sell their practice, even though they may or may not step down from clinical delivery, they've realized that they are going to want to actually take the chips to the bank, exchange them for cash and walk out of the casino. And yeah, they, they recognize that that is now a much more competitive market than it ever was before, that there are more buyers, that there are more sellers, that there's a lot more that you need to understand about how good valuations are calculated. And that in actual fact, what they want is somebody that's going to help them, as I say, to polish the silver before they actually put the silver up for sale. And Mm. I have to say that that's been a very, very busy part of my business over the last two or three years, particularly. I genuinely believe that every single human being is suffering from PTSD which has been created by the last two and a half years whether it's been COVID whether it's been the economy whether it's been politics whether it's been the geopolitical situation we're all a bit stressed and we've had two and a half very very disruptive years and a lot of people in ownership are actually burned out by that and you know if we they've had it with HR and team they've had it with patients and litigation (laughs) they've had it with self-employed uh, clinicians, they've had it with the mar- mar- wider marketplace, they've had it with the competition that you were talking about earlier on Chris and they've just had enough and they want out and rather with respect than just ring Frank Taylor Associates and say can I just put the bloody thing up for sale or rather than making the mistake of ringing one of the corporates direct and saying can you come yeah. have a look at the practice and tell me what you'd pay for it because that is a Frankly, Gary Chapman will shoot me when he hears me say this, but you know, going direct to the corporate is a pretty bloody stupid thing to do. Um, you do need independent advice even at the point of sale. But what I have found myself drawn into is a conversation which says, well, we're probably gonna bring Frank Taylor's in a year or two, but before we get there, we'd like you to show us how to maximize the, the, both the profitability and the structure mm-hmm. of the business so that we've got a, a very, very good proposition to sell. Boy, oh boy, is that keeping me busy.
0: Mm. Now to of course- be honest, Chris, all you said, we, 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 we back up and support and you. Say, get a run-up. Honestly, the amount of people who come to us and they want a valuation and they want to immediately sell their business. And quite often it's heartbreaking because you think if you'd have come to us a year or two before, there were so yeah. many things you could do with your business in that run-up to make sure that it's it's one more valuable mm. Uh, and two more saleable, and I don't mean just you know screwing you know more dentistry out of the existing patient base to increase the fees to sell it for more. On a sustainable basis, you can improve that business. So the person that takes it on ends up with a better business. So mm. the work you're doing is is good news for everybody. Mm. It means that the person selling will get a better end result, but also the person who takes the practice on will inherit a practice which has a more a better outcome for them in the long run.
1: Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. people forget that processes and and processes and policies and structures actually enhance value you know yeah. it's it's about repeatability it's about saying to someone look this this is what we've set in place mm-hmm. this is what it will deliver and that takes away uncertainty yeah. which means value is impre- improved as uh, but yeah. trying to get that message across is uh, is tricky because we we want when, you know, when we sell, we want a happy seller and we want a happy buyer because we want the buyer to be positive about us. And, you know, mm. um, 30 years time when they come to sell it, I'll be dead. But uh, Frank Taylors will still be here. <laughs>
0: but also, we've all joined up. It's a, but, but it's an ecosystem, isn't it? It, it We yeah. are all joined up. Yeah, whether they're the are the dentists, the labs, the suppliers, you know, the coaches, the brokers, whoever. If we don't all support dentistry end to end, it will fracture, which isn't good for any of us. So I think that whole concept of supporting the seller as well as the buyer is just good for the future of the profession. Mm, definitely.
2: And and picking up on something you said, the, the, when we're talking about polishing the silver, we're, we're not trying to just squeeze the last pip of profit out of the no. business. What, what, what we're actually trying to do here is to create a business that is so well run that um, that, uh, number one, it's attractive to the buyer, uh, first of all, because of its profitability, but also because of the ease of transition uh, once the acquisition has been made. One, one of the things that yeah. I treasure um, is an email from Portman uh, which actually says in black and white, we, we, love, we love buying practices that are barrowed up and the reason yeah. that we love buying practices that are barrowed up is because number one there's less due diligence for us to do and number two once we've got the practice we also know that we've got less tinkering to do with it because it's already mm-hmm. well run and it's already generating good profits so it, it really is a win-win-win mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a win for the free, for the former owner it's a win for the buyer but it's also a win for the team and the patients as well, who continue to get good mm-hmm. levels of service and a mm-hmm. great place to work. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Definitely. The, th- the things you said, Chris, give us an insight to what success looks like for your clients. What does success look like for you? What does it mean to you?
2: Um, peace of mind is, is, uh, number one on my list. I, I, um, I mentioned earlier that I've, I celebrated a birthday, um, um, recently and, uh, I I'm I'm going to hit the big 70 next year and uh, both my wife and and uh, I've got five adult children um who are all in successful jobs successful partnerships I've got a couple of grandchildren in there as well and and the family have been uh, throwing at me number one what do you want to do for your 70th because it appears to be a milestone <laughs> And uh, and and the second question is what it is do you but want? a number, sir. It is but. And uh, and and what they've also been saying to me is, well, what do you want for your seventieth? Because it's a big birthday, and maybe we will do something special. And 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 I have to say that, try as am I might, I'm struggling to think of anything. And um, i i, I, I and I, all right, I'd, I'll go back to what I said earlier. You know, fifty-two years in business, sixty-nine years of, of age. I'm going to sound really really boring and I apologize in advance to say that you know I've 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 done that part of my life where I need a flash car and I now drive uh, a second hand uh mini roadster to drop top uh that costs a uh, John Cooper Works mini roadster drop drop top uh ah,
1: where- I see John Cooper Works there Chris
2: it, it costs me 12 and a half grand cash and it owes me nothing, and I absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got through the stage where I, I, I don't need a flash car, I don't need flash clothes. Um, you know, I, I, I'm in jeans and trainers and tops all my life. Uh, suits now is weddings and funerals. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in a situation where I live in a lovely home. Um, We've got everything we need around us in the home. I've been taking 12 weeks vacation every year since 1996 and I continue so to do. Um, One of the things that I'm actually doing for my birthday is that for the first time, I'm dropping from a five-day week to a four-day week. Um, and And I'm doing that next year as a birthday present. And the reason for that is because I want to ride my bike a bit more before I die and so uh, Monday's going to be a bike-riding day. Ironic, given the recent circumstances, but that, that was yeah. the overall plan. Um, <coughs> Are
1: you going to eat yourself one of those trikes?
2: <laughs> oh, my. Um, or, or a mobility scooter, one of the two. Um, I was just
1: thinking, safety. Safety comes first.
2: Thank you very much. Um, so to go back to your question, what does success mean to me? Su- su- success means to me that um, I've got two healthy, happy granddaughters and one hopes more on the way. Success to me means I've got five children who are all in successful relationships and they've all got relatively successful careers. Some of them earn more than others. Some of They all got very, very different jobs from each other, but by and large, they're all doing okay. Success for me means that I could not be any happier with my marriage and with the relationship that I've got uh, with Annie. Uh, success to me means that, interestingly, ninety nine point nine percent of my friends are in dentistry. Um, we had uh, we had a street party for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and my wife had to introduce me to the neighbours because I didn't really know who they were uh, because uh, because my friends are in dentistry. Uh, some of my mm. best friends are in dentistry, and uh, when we you know, if we went away socially for a weekend uh, to stay with another couple, there are two or three couples that we do that with, and they're all in dentistry. <laughs> um, wow! And, and, are you and still that's...
1: friends with your st- with Steve? S- Steve. That was it, Steve Hyam, the Blake in the beginning. Was oh, his Steve was Hyam. His I, Blake,
2: I've you... not seen I've not seen Steve Hyam for thirty years. I, I, I don't oh, know. What wow! We're wow, wow! Wow!
1: Okay. Right. Right
2: don't know what's become of him, all right? Um, so not only has dentistry provided me with a bloody good living um, in return for working hard at it, but also dentistry has provided me with a community of friends, um, some mm. of whom have become very, very close and best friends, one of whom became the best man at my wedding. And, um, and, and I, I just love it. I love the community. I love who they are. Like every other community, it's got some people that you don't want to spend a lot of time with. Uh, But by and large, (laughs) um, it's been fantastic. So, how how do I. What is success for me? Success is the happiness that all of that brings. Yeah. I hope that's where you are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I think it's lovely. I think it it, it does. It it puts you where you are now as opposed to. (coughs) <coughs> looking in the past or craving something in the future it sounds yeah, like you're, striving, you're very striving, content striving. just just to dip back into the past for two seconds um it was talked about a lot at the time but you haven't talked about it for a while so some people may not be aware but back in 2014 um, there was a fairly innovative reality tv program called the <laughs> island with bear grills which you you appeared on and, and for people that don't know Basically, Chris and a bunch of other people got put onto a castaway Starved, island and, and had to fend for yourself, didn't you? For, yeah, what was it, yeah. a week or 10 days or, or whatever it was? Uh, just, just it was 28 that. days. That was an extraordinary event. 28? 28 days. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, think, yeah. So tell us, so what, what was that like as an experience? I, like I, I, I was I, I was <laughs> kind
2: of fingers crossed we, we could get through that without this coming up because um, you, you can imagine that... Um, any, anybody who knows me, particularly my children, uh, whenever this subject comes up, they go, oh, my God, Dad, not that again. They groan, um, do they? Uh, so if there is anybody out there that, that is left... Um, they, yes, they, can,
0: they can tune out now.
2: They can. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the next two minutes you don't need to uh, But, uh, yes, um, uh, I, w- <laughs> um, I was one of the castaways on... Uh, episode one series one of the island with bear grills so we were really the innovators and um mm. and uh yes we spent the month of february which is why it was 28 days um on a subtropical island in the pacific ocean uh for those who always ask there were no cheats we didn't have any food we didn't have any uh, drinks. We weren't given any firelighting equipment. We were given very little um, uh, in, in terms of survival kit. And uh, 13, uh, 13 British men uh, were dumped on um, into a mangrove swamp on the 1st of February. We were left there for a month to fend for ourselves. And uh, and uh, what do you need to know? Uh, you need to know that I went on at 11 stone 10 and I came off at 10 stone uh, you need to know that the 13 wow. of us lost 20 stone between us in the first 10 days. Um, and that's because we were surviving for the first couple of weeks on about 250 calories a day, uh, which was largely snails and coconuts. Um, after two weeks, we learned how to fish and we were, we were able to supplement our diet up to about 500 or 600 calories a day with some of the fish that we caught. Uh, but it, it, was t- it was a tough call. And um, I learned something about leadership. I learned something about teamwork. Uh, but of course, m- most importantly of all, I learned something about me and um, what, I, what mm-hmm. I learned about me. And it's kind of ironic, uh, given what, what happened years later with COVID. Uh, what I learned about me is, is that I'm resilient. Um, that that uh, you know, some people have called me Mister Weevil That no, no matter how you knock me down, I just bounce back up again. And um, and uh, all thirteen of us survived that experience. And the interesting thing is that of the subsequent um, further series of that particular show at the Island with Bear Grylls, I think it ended up with about nine series um, in the UK, and also it's been remade around the world as well and to this day we are the only group where everybody stayed till the end uh, to this day wow, and, wow. Uh, we're, we're are you still in
1: contact with any of them chris
2: yes we are we we have a whatsapp group and uh, we stay in contact with each other Brilliant. and uh, we've got our 10 year anniversary coming up very soon and uh, the, the there's a rumble in wow. us having some kind of a party i'm not quite sure it might be in a bus shelter in aberdeen or something but uh, uh, we'll uh, <laughs> We'll see uh, uh, it was a great experience. It was a great experience and um, so,
0: so so to still be in, so so still being touched then it it sounds like there wasn't any kind of William Golding Lord of the Flies moments. it sounds like uh, you, quite the opposite you sort of um, it on.
2: no, quite the opposite with a, with about a week to go, we'd split into three cliques, the thirteen of us, and it was demographically based. All the lads under thirty right. stayed together. All the lads, 30 to 50, stayed together. And there were three of us, four of us, that were 50 to 70. One of the guys was 70 years old when he did it. and interesting, And, really uh, interesting, and, yeah. and us, us old wrinklies stayed together. And we weren't speaking to each other uh, because we were all so pissed off with each other. Um, and actually, wow. uh, we all had a meeting with about a week to go and said, we've got a choice to make here, which is that we either go and camp on separate parts of the island and not speak to each other, or we just bloody well get over ourselves and get on with it, and uh, we decided on the latter. Mm. And over the last four or five days, we kind of rebuilt the bridges. Uh, but we, after three wow. weeks, we'd broken. We'd, we'd broken, and uh, that was another wow, lesson I, that's that I took awesome. away. Uh, mm. By the way, I've what done tribes? a lot of. Tribe uh, are you in? I, I've done a lot of extreme expeditions. I, I've done wild camping in deserts. I've done mountain climbing. I've done tropical islands I've done quite a few of this stuff and can I say that I've never ever done an extreme expedition where it hasn't broken at some stage uh, in direct proportion to the level of uh, stress and discomfort that was existing within the group Um, so another thing about human nature is that when you put people together in a high stress environment actually expect it to break And be ready for that and be ready with the with how to put it back together again. And of course, that's become quite useful over the last few years because most dental teams have broken to some extent or other. Mm -hmm. And people come to me and go, Oh my God, my team's broken. I'm a failure. And and I'm going, No, no, no. Your team's broken because that's human nature. Uh, Now we need to fix it Uh, because people, particularly business owners, Particularly dental practice owners and practice managers, when the team breaks, they sometimes think that it's their fault that they're lousy leaders. They take it personally, yeah. And yeah. and I have to keep stepping in there and saying no, 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 no. You know, I, I wouldn't use this uh, uh, as a metaphor in a conversation with a client, but yeah. every expedition, including the island with bear grills, we broke. And uh, yeah. what you need to do is be ready to put it back together again.
0: Mm. Yeah, Chris. It's it, honestly it's, it's fascinating. We should we should have a series. This this, this <laughs> doesn't cover. This isn't doesn't even scratch the surface. No, it doesn't. It of doesn't. The, of but the I suppose though, if you, you think twenty six years, it's quite a lot is, going exactly, on there, exactly. and that's only in dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but no. Honestly, I think your your stories. Uh, I think the stuff that you do. Um, there's a lot of crossover with with what we do, and it's it's nice. Our paths keep crossing. You know, over those years, there's there's different reasons that we we you know we're kind of working together or supporting one another. We we always finish up in the same way. We always ask our guests the same two questions, and the first question we like to ask is, if you could be a fly on the wall in a situation, what situation would that be in and when would it be, and who would you be with?
2: Yeah. Um, now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, for the sake of the audience, I, I was primed with this question, and so the, the response I'm giving yeah. you is not off the cuff. I, I have given this some thought. And it, I'm going to give you a rather unusual answer, um, but I, I would like to be a fly on the wall on the 8th of June, 1924, at the top of Mount Everest. And the reason for that is oh. because I is because I've had a lifelong fascination with mountain climbing and mountain climbers. And one of the great unsolved mysteries of climbing is whether or not George Mallory summited Everest in 1924 uh, with Irving, his his climbing partner. Mm. And although both of their bodies have sadly been found, um, there remains still no um, clear evidence as to whether uh, Mallory actually became the first man to climb Everest and not uh, Edmund Hillary in the year that I was born, 1953. And I would love, and by the way, if you ever read the story of, of Mallory and Irving's expedition, that there, there are some enigmatic clues that would suggest that maybe they did make it, uh, but the climbing community is divided about that. And I'd love, I, I clearly wouldn't love to be stood on the top of the mountain with them. No. Uh, because the overwhelming <laughs> bulk balance of probabilities is that I would have died like they did. Uh, but I'd love to be able to kind of be in a little bubble and just see whether he made it. So um, that's, that's well. Nice. That's,
0: that's a, a, great that's, a one. that's a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. I um on, on that I recently listened to. There's a there's a podcast, high performance podcast, and last week they talked to Kenton Cole, the climber, and yep. some of the stories he tells about yep. extreme climbing. It's yep. just ridiculous the situations these guys find themselves in. It's off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Off the charts.
1: I never understand the guys who do free climbing with no ropes or anything. I no. just think you are completely mad.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And our, and our follow-up question, Chris, is if you could meet somebody, you were given the opportunity to meet anybody you'd like to. Who would you like to sit down with a glass of red wine and have a chat to? I
2: I I, I struggled with this one, and the, and the reason I struggle with this one is because I've probably got a hundred people on the list, and um, mm. you know it's so 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 difficult. <clears throat> I'm gonna mm. allow I'm gonna allow myself two answers if that's okay okay
0: okay no and, problem at all uh, we'll just edit out uh, one of them <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh and, and thank uh, you good night <laughs> and uh my my, my my first answer is kind of a generic answer which is that i <laughs> i mentioned to you one that i'm an, I'm an avid reader and uh i mm. could write a list of 100 novelists that i would love to sit down and talk to uh, but probably the top of that list is Charles Dickens because um, I, I have ah. remained <clears throat> I've remained um, perpetually fascinated by um, first of all his work rate um, the, the rate at which he turned out the material that he turned out for his penny weeklies um, because it reminds me very much of an avid blogger uh, which in some respects mm. many of us are oh, yeah, uh, but but also secondarily to talk to him about the early influences that led him to uh, create many of the characters um, in the books that he wrote and uh, you can't see it but over, over there on the bookshelf uh, behind me are the complete works of Dickens which uh, occupy private wow. place at the centre so that was my first answer but my second answer is very much more personal and th- that is that uh, uh, my um, my maternal grandfather uh, sadly passed away when I was about ten years old, and as a child he was my best friend. And uh, there's a whole great story about that which we don't have time for now. Uh, but I've always been fascinated about the fact that I didn't I don't really know anything about his early life uh, in Manchester in the 1920s as a working class Methodist teetotaler who married a Roman Catholic, uh, who was uh, an engineer working for the railway company, uh, but pride of place in my bedroom is one of his oil paintings. And we do also have some of the poetry that he wrote in his twenties and his thirties as well. And uh, I never had the opportunity to talk with him as an adult. And so Mm. if if I could meet Albert Meller again, um possibly towards the end of his life. Uh, but if I could speak to him as the adult that I am now, and if I could say, yeah. I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a podcast interview with him and say, Could you yeah. tell me <laughs> could you tell me a little bit about your early life growing up in the nineteen twenties and thirties in Manchester?
0: Cool. I wonder what Albert Meller from the nineteen twenties yeah, would make of us sitting it. here doing a podcast. Blow his <laughs> mind.
2: <laughs> mm,
0: fascinating. Chris, it's been an absolute joy. Um, it's been a hoot. We were we were hoping for twenty minutes. We got an hour and ten. Didn't surprise me one bit. No. Yeah. So much more uh, that we could have talked about. It, is yeah.
2: Absolute pleasure. Um, uh, you know, you and I go back youth. The two of you and I go back an awful long way. Um, it's always always been a great relationship. And uh, here's to many 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 more years of the same. Absolutely,
0: yeah, absolutely we look forward to getting you back when you hit your milestone birthday and you can tell us all about it <laughs> all right thanks guys cheers chris brilliant thanks very thank much. you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram